RVC, um, Joshua Yogi, I serve as uh, the youth pastor at RVC, and I consider it a great privilege to share God's word with us this morning. Uh, but let me just say I've been tremendously blessed by the preaching of God's word this past few weeks, and my heart is filled with great joy just to hear what the Lord is doing in our midst. So uh, our text today is from Luke chapter 10, verse 25, all the way to 11, 14. And I'd just love to invite Victor to read for us that portion of scripture. So our reading is from Luke, uh, from chapter 10, verse 25 to 11, verse 13. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and, and, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Then the next day he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to, uh, to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by, my, by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried, worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. One day, Jesus was praying in a, in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he's, he, he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, 
he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that is the word of the Lord. May he write it on our hearts. Thank you, Victor, uh, for reading uh, God's word. So my title for this sermon is Discipleship to Neighbor and Before God. Discipleship to Neighbor and before God. But I'll use three points to expound on this title. Number one, love your neighbor, learn from Jesus, and lean on God in prayer. Love your neighbor, say it with me. Learn from Jesus and lean on God in prayer. So love your neighbor. Why should we love our neighbors? Because it is a reflection of our love for God. So the text begins uh, by saying that, the lawyer stood up. The NIV says an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So Jesus was probably teaching. And it was customary when someone was teaching or when our teacher was teaching, it was customary that their students were seated at the feet of the teacher just learning from God. And so maybe the lawyer wanting, wanting to get Jesus' attention, he stands up to, to ask this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, lawyers were well acquainted with the law. They are sometimes referred to as the doctors or scribes uh, of the law. They basically had three functions, to study and interpret scripture, to instruct the Hebrew youth in the law, and to decide the questions of the law. So from the onset, Luke shows us that the lawyer is not sincere. He's an, he has an ulterior, an ulterior motive. He was not seeking eternal life. He was seeking to test the Lord. Probably he was testing Jesus' skills of answering questions of the law. Now, this question is very important. Almost all religions seek to answer this question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, friends, this is the ultimate question of the human heart. So after he has asked that question, Jesus asks uh, the lawyer, what do you read? How do you read it? And he says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And so Jesus already knows his intention and is trying to expose the lawyer's duplicity. And as an expert of the law, he actually quotes uh, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. So Jesus commends the lawyer and he said, you have answered correctly. But he throws a curveball and says, do this and you shall live. So Jesus is saying to the lawyer, if you love God perfectly, if you love God and your neighbor perfectly, you would have eternal life. Now we know that he cannot keep the law perfectly because he is an imperfect being and God demands perfection. So the lawyers were known to lay burdens of the law to people, but they themselves did not obey those laws. He was a sinner. He cannot keep God's laws perfectly. And that is why God sent his son to keep the law perfectly. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we have eternal life. The law was to show the lawyer his need for a savior. 
Church, if one claims genuinely to love God, the natural response would be to listen to him and to respond to him and to receive eternal life. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth is revealed through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, the Bible says, wanting to justify himself, desiring to justify himself. Uh, he wants to justify himself because he has been exposed. He has been pushed to the corner. And so he asks a question. He asks the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers with a parable. So in this parable, we see that the priest came by. Probably after fulfilling his duties at the temple in Jerusalem, he looked at the man and he passed on the other side. Maybe he felt sorry for the man, but he did not do anything. A Levite. Now, Levites were lay priests who helped in the temple service. He also passed by on the other side. Both the priest and the Levites were Jew. And probably that guy who was beaten and robbed was a Jew. And so they look at this guy and they passed by. Probably because they didn't want to touch the body because they thought he was dead and that would make them unclean. But either way, they did not help um, the guy. And then Jesus says, the good Samaritan. Now to a Jew, a Samaritan, there was no good Samaritan. Actually saying a good Samaritan was an oxymoron. It's like saying, oh, there is good evil. Evil cannot be good. Evil is evil. So the Samaritans were outcasts. In the Old Testament, your neighbor was someone who you were related with with the bond um, of nationality or you were related with by the bond of nationality. So the lawyer had his definition of a neighbor. In his mind, Jesus had actually said, love your Jewish neighbor as yourself. His definition was exclusive of the Gentiles and the Samaritans. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other because when the Jews went into exile in Assyria, they got married to the Assyrians who were pagans, and that was the result of the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans were semi-Jews. They had their own abbreviated uh, Pentateuch. They had their own temple where they were worshiping God. And so they hated each other. But Jesus says it is the good Samaritan who helped this guy who was probably a Jew. So Jesus gives this parable of a good Samaritan who showed compassion. Jesus is turning the table upside down and is saying that your neighbor is that person who you do not love, that person who is not in your circle of friends, that person who is of a different race and a different tribe. Your neighbor is anyone who is in need of help. The lawyer understands what Jesus is saying because Jesus asks him, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the man, the one who had mercy on him. Because even of the hostility, he cannot even just say a brief answer, the Samaritan. He just says, the man who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. And so, friends, the temptation for me and you is to say that we are the good Samaritan. But honestly, we are the priest and the Levites who passed by. Sometimes we have opportunities to help people in need, but we don't. Either because we don't love them or we don't like them. We come up with all manner of excuses about loving on them or praying for them. And here are just a few. I'm busy to pray for that teacher who is constantly giving me assignments. I can't pray for my boss who is so cruel. I'm already late. I don't know that person. He will definitely be sorted. 
That is a trap. I know such people. I have lived with them. I've been serving God all the week and I'm tired. Church, true disciples of Jesus who profess to love him and follow him must love and show compassion to people who are undeserving. That's what Christ did for us. That's what God did for us. Romans 5 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still seen as Christ died for us, we were disobedient. We were God's enemies, wanting nothing to do with him. But because of his incalculable mercies and sovereign love for us, he sent his son to die on the cross. A death that he did not deserve, so that when we trust in him, we live a life that we do not deserve. Do we see people as a nuisance to avoid or neighbors to love? So topic number one was basically love your neighbor because it is a reflection of your love of God. And then my point two is learn from Jesus because he's the ultimate disciple maker. And then the story is given. The, the Bible says that Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened a home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me? I think sometimes it is easy to misunderstand this mother's situation. Hospitality was a cultural value in that society, and lack of it was actually tantamount to dishonoring your guests. And this is not just your ordinary guest. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the most important person in human history. But while Martha is trying to sort out Jesus, Mary was just seated at the feet of Jesus. Martha is probably thinking, what's wrong with this girl? Martha is frustrated. She asks Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve you alone? Now, I understand Martha, we are nine in our family. Even without guests, we are a multitude. And so sometimes when things need to be done and they're just seated there, watching Netflix, I would ask my mom the same question. I would have asked my mom the same question. Mom, don't you care that your children have left me to serve alone? So Martha is questioning Jesus, don't you care? But friends, we know actually Jesus cares. But it seems like the problem was not Martha's service. Because Jesus says, you, Martha, you are anxious and troubled by many things. Probably Martha was anxious over how she will please the Lord. She was probably worried that her lack of service will reflect her lack of hospitality. And because of this, her anxiety deterred her from seeking the one thing that was necessary, which is listening to Jesus. Friends, this kind of selfishness or self-centeredness is so subtle. It always seems like you're doing something for the Lord, but we are actually doing it for yourself. It is not the serving that was wrong. It was the distraction that it was causing. I think this passage, in a way, seeks to clarify the previous passage of the Good Samaritan. When Jesus says, do this and you shall live, this passage seeks to clarify that whatever we do should be as a result of our true devotion to Jesus and his word. Our service should be as a result of our affection for him. Let's not feel compelled to serve out of fear of what others will think or say about us, but rather out of the gratitude for what Christ has done for us on the cross. Have you ever taken time and just gone out of your way to get a friend a gift 
only for them to say, I'd rather you spend time with me than to get me that gift. Sometimes in our genuine desire to serve our master, we forget the most needful thing is to learn from him, is to listen from him. Brothers and sisters, we serve Jesus better by listening to him. I think the temptations of us, of us preachers or worship leaders is sometimes in our desire to make sure that the sermon is um, well articulated or the sermon is clear. Sometimes in that desire, which is not bad in itself, but the temptation of it would be to please people, to glorify ourselves other than to glorify God. Then the scripture says, but Mary chose the good portion. That is what Jesus says. But Mary has done that one thing that is needed. He has chosen what is better. The ESV says he has chosen the good portion. Mary was fascinated with Jesus than with herself. Imagine a famous person like Lebron or Messi or Beyonce or probably the Queen of the United Kingdom showed up at your house. What would you do? Would you be in the kitchen preparing a meal? I know someone has to be in the kitchen to prepare a meal, but that person is not me. Church, this was not just a famous person. This was Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead, who told the storms to be still and they were still, who walked on water, who the word came into existence simply by the power of his words. My salvation has just come into my house. Eternal life has literally walked in. I'm not going to be in the kitchen cooking. There's no need for cooking. Actually, I'm shutting the entire cooking operation down. Don't you think, believers, the most needful thing for us would be to sit under his feet? To learn the meaning of life from the life? But just like Martha, we always choose to spend our time on things that do not satisfy. Think about it. That's how we treat Jesus. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is speaking to us each and every day through his word. So we cannot say we have a high regard of Jesus if we have a low regard of his words that is in the scriptures. Friends, we can have a lot of time to serve God, but we need to commune with him. We need to learn from him. We need to sit at his feet and learn from our Savior. Don't you think for you, non-believer, then, the most needful thing for you would be to ask him for eternal life. Do not despise his grace and mercies. Please don't repudiate the glorious grace of God. He says in Matthew eleven twenty, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Can you believe in him today? Now, unlike Martha, Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus. Do you see the difference of postures between Mary and the lawyer? The Bible says that the lawyer stood up to ask Jesus the question, but Mary was seated at the feet. That is a posture of a disciple learning from his master. Mary was listening to Jesus. Mary only appears three times in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 11, and Luke chapter 12. And in all these places, guess where Mary is at? He's seated at the feet of his master. We never see her anywhere else. Mary is paying attention in quietness and submission to the Lord. She's utterly devoted to the Lord and wants nothing more than to be near him. Friends, listening to God is intentional. It is hard work. It is not easy to sit down to read God's word. It is not even easy to sit down and listen to a sermon like 
right now. Soon or later, the mind tends to drift off. But we have to flex those muscles. We have to discipline ourselves to learn from Jesus through his word. Mary was listening to the Lord. While Martha was serving the Lord, Mary was serving the moment. Her desire to be with Christ outweighed any desire to help her sister. Friends, what we do with Jesus is far more important than what we do for him. I've always found out that sometimes when I'm very busy for the Lord, those are the times that I'm actually learning least from him. My prayer is that we will sit at his feet and learn from him. So our point number one was love your neighbor. Our point number two was learn from Jesus. Our point number three is lean on God in prayer. And that is from chapter 11, Proverbs 1 to 13. So the Lord's prayer, the disciple says, one, the disciple says, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now in the text, we see that the disciples are asking the Lord to teach them how to pray which means that keenly observed their master and understood the importance of prayer, and they wanted to imitate their master. The disciples wanted to be taught because they knew this is a necessary thing for their lives. In contrast to the lawyer, they are not proud, but they expose themselves. They are vulnerable, realizing that they need their Savior to teach them how to pray. The disciples are not reluctant in admitting that they need help, it's like sometimes us men, when you clearly know that you are lost, but you do not want to ask for help. While you know you can just ask for help and get there as soon as possible, but you don't want to. But friends, true disciples should be vulnerable to bring their requests to God. Someone said this, the ability to learn begins with the ability to admit one's ignorance and to express a desire to learn. Now, the, Jesus teaches them this prayer and he said to them, people say that this is the Lord's prayer, but I think it's actually the disciples' prayer because this is how the disciples are supposed to pray. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Basically, uh, Jesus is saying when you start praying, we need to treat his name with awe and reverence because he is God the creator and we are the creatures. He upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all creatures. The New Catechism quote says, that God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and changeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. So friends, when we pray, Jesus says, let's start with adoration of who he is. Hence, the prayer starts with an adoration. Then followed by a request of God's kingdom to come. He says, your kingdom come. This is important because his character will be fully revealed. The whole creation will be restored. His majesty, splendor, and holiness will be revealed in totality. So even as we long for that day, we are requesting for his authority, glory, and splendor to be revealed at this time. Brothers, sisters, church, if we are not longing for the kingdom of God to come, we have probably fallen in love with this fallen world. The second item in the prayer, he says, give us our daily bread and forgive us our, give us our daily bread. And I just want to combine that with the parable that he gives uh, from verse 5 all the way to verse 13. The second, time in here, the second item here is physical needs of the disciples. God knows that, Jesus knows that God is a God of providence, that he cares for us. He cares about his children and he provides for them. He is faithful. And let me just do a side note right now. I think sometimes when we say God is faithful, what we mean is that God is faithful 
to provide what I ask him to provide. He's faithful to give me what I want him to give me. But that is not actually what God's faithfulness means. It means he never ceases to be what he is and who he is because he's an unchanging God. And so when we say he is faithful, what we basically mean is in his sovereign providence, he has seen fit to grant us or withhold from us what we have asked him in prayer. And that is according to the purpose of his own will. So friends, God is the sustainer of life. And Jesus is saying, depend on that God, lean on that God who is the sustainer of life. Now, if the parable says from verse 5 all the way to 11, if a friend can give his fellow friend what he has because he has, he has persisted, how much more will our earthly father who are evil, even more our heavenly father, he will provide for us. I think sometimes we ask for things that are detrimental to our spiritual lives. We ask for snacks instead of, of fish. But even in such cases, God gives you what you need, not necessarily what you want. Friends, if we don't trust God with our daily needs, we are basically saying that we are self-sufficient and we do not need God's provision upon our lives. And then the third prayer, he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus is saying we need to depend on God for sustenance in our spiritual walk. We are sinful creatures. We do not have the power to sustain ourselves. We need to completely depend on him for us to say no to temptations. So the, the, the disciples need to be fully aware of their need to ask God for forgiveness of their sins. We should not be blind to the fact that we still sin. So in our prayers, we should always remind ourselves that we are feeble creatures in need of God's grace and mercies and power to sustain us. So friend, if our prayers are not characterized by a constant desire to plead for God's mercies and forgiveness, that's a clear indication of the naivety concerning our sins or probably our hearts or our conscience have been hardened towards particular sins. I think it is Arsis Prow who says, one can pray and not be a Christian, but one cannot be a Christian and not pray. Prayer, like any means of growth, requires discipline. It is a privilege, but it is also a duty. Friends, lack of prayer causes stagnation in our spiritual walk. Church, let us set our wishes before his eyes. Let us pour our hearts to him. Prayer is for God's glory, but it is for our benefit. Our motivation for prayer is we know that the Lord hears us. Verse 9 says, So I ask you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, he will. For anyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, find. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Our motivation is that God hears our prayers. Jesus says, This friend got what he needed because of persistence. Jesus is telling his disciples that God will give you the Holy Spirit. Actually, the context, the, 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 the next verse says that, uh, the last verse says that, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so friends, we know, apart from our physical needs, that this, in this context, God is also talking about 
God, in this context, God is talking about giving the Holy Spirit. And we know he actually gave his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And we believers know that the moment we are born again, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 says, when you believed, you are marked with You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Friends, we are helpless and hopeless without the Holy Spirit. God basically gave us himself. It is through the Spirit that we are able to do things that please God. Believer, child of God, is your life characterized by prayer? Jesus' instruction to his disciples is enough motivation to pray. We don't need any other motivation. Let's pray corporately. Let's pray as individuals. And maybe you're here and you're saying, hey, pastor, I don't know how to pray. Probably you're a youth and you're saying, hey, I don't know how to pray. Can you pray through the scriptures? Can we just open portions of the Bible and just pray through the scriptures? These are his very words. Or can you ask someone to be praying with you? Can we set times to actually pray? Can we be intentional and say, I'm going to wake up in the morning? Or, or during my jogging time, or at the evening and pray. Friends, reformation would not have happened if there was no prayer. The early fathers were devoted to prayer and the word. My prayer is that we are going to ask God to motivate our hearts and give us a desire for prayer. Let's pray. Allow us to pray, and please allow us to pray through Psalm 119. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and and it endures. Your laws endures to this day. For all things serve you. Lord, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved our lives. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Your statues, O Lord, are wonderful. Therefore, we obey them. The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. And so, Lord, we long for them. Righteous are you, O Lord, and your laws are right. Lord, we know that you hear our prayers and that you are a faithful God. And so, Father, we pray even for people who are struggling through this pandemic. That, Lord, we know you hear us. And that, Lord, you answer our prayers, not in accordance to our will to be done, but your will. And so, Father, we're grateful for your faithfulness and we're grateful for your word um, that we can lean on even at such times. Our Father, what in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For there is thy kingdom, thy power, and thy glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, obviously. Looking forward to hang out with you guys another time. I'm looking forward to hear next week's sermon.